Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my studios in South Bend, Indiana. Sitting across from me in Portland, Oregon, is the uncredited screenwriter of Crocodile Dundee, the man who gave us the phrase, that's no knife, this is a knife. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Ken? You see, I... all my visits to Australia have been paying off, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever actually thrown a shrimp on the Barbie? Yes, I have, as a matter of fact. Yeah? Uh, yeah, because, um, uh, what, what, well, yes, but not during the summertime, uh, because when I'm typically there in Australia, it's, uh, it's their winter, okay. it's our summer and their winter, right? So no one's, no one's barbecuing there at that time. Uh, but, uh, but, so, but every once in a while they'll throw on their, those, they'll have a grill and, 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 uh, you know, they say, I know you Americans love to grill. So, you know, so they'll pull out the grill and. <laughs> And I and I actually had some shrimp on the Barbie. Yes, it was Good, quite, okay. quite authentic delicious. experience of Australia. That and did you do you, have you been punched by a kangaroo? No, I have not. Can't can't say it. I can't say it. I've held a koala though. They're like <laughs> are there photos? Like moving squirming teddy bear. <laughs> are, are there photos? We need the photos. Oh, no, I, for, oh, God, for I'll see if I have any. I don't know because I think someone was taking a picture or something. That could be. This that's pretty cool. I have eaten kangaroo though. <laughs> really? And yes, I have. I had it in a pot pie. Uh, the first time I had it was mixed in a pot pie, and then I had it kind of like as a steak. But the thing is, it, this this is such a muscular animal. You have to have some fat with it in okay. order for it to have any flavor. Sure. So it was bacon wrapped, and of course, well, anything <laughs> bacon wrapped around is going to taste good, you know. So, you know, you know, it tastes really good wrapped in bacon. More bacon. <laughs> <laughs> so Pro tip true. from me to you. <laughs> so true, so true. Uh. <laughs> it's good to see you, and uh, and I know you know you've mentioned before that you're not traveling throughout the summer. Here, uh, you know we're we're getting into the height of summer even now. Um, I'm actually going to be on a road trip and uh, and head back to the Pacific Northwest. I think I mentioned it before, you know, and we're going to uh, bring my niece and nephew back to South Bend and we're going to do the Great American Road Trip and see all the all the sites. We're going to go to Custer's, you know, Last Stand, Battle of the Little Bighorn. We're going to go to Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse, Wall Drug, all those things that you have to that you have to see. Um, the Mitchell Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. So we're hitting all the highlights, my friends. Wow. And then get a load of this. My bride dropped upon me just yesterday that she found the ultimate tourist destination for us. We are going to visit the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota. <laughs> I never knew there was such a thing. I... I can't wait because, I mean, imagine all the delightful spam things I didn't know. I actually don't know much about spam, except that it's delicious when fried. That I do. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I know. I hope they give out samples. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, kind of like 
the Tillamook Cheese Factory, right. where you can get all the free samples. Free spam samples would be something I would probably stand there forever. <laughs> it does last forever. <laughs> it, it does not. No. Okay. So producer Aaron has just said that spam lasts forever and that that's the single most important fact about spam. That is patently untrue, mainly because it never has the chance to last very long at our house. So. <laughs> 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 I well, do the, like spam the, though. We've, we've just I picked think up one of those love, love it or hate it kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, and it's big in Hawaii. I mean, it is huge. When in I was Hawaii. in Hawaii, yeah, I was in Hawaii for an alumni trip at the with the University of Portland, and I went down the aisle of a grocery store, and there were like seventeen different flavors of spam, and I brought back like fifteen of them, and they were pretty much all delicious and you know like barbecue spam in a can and and tocino tocino which i think is a like a, a filipino flavor those isn't that spanish for bacon huevos y tocino yeah uh, huevo, yeah eggs and bacon tocino just, yeah, yeah well there you go so they had a tocino flavor and they had uh, all sorts of i mean yeah uh, low sodium okay so that's not really much of a flavor but yeah no it was good <laughs> um, but now that we've solidified, uh, the spam sponsorship here, uh, on living stones, uh, we should probably pick up our conversation about life. Um, <laughs> so we have been reading together, John Paul, II's 1995 encyclical Evangelium Vitae, the gospel of life. And, um, we're picking up our conversation last week. We, we talked about, uh, kind of the pressures that a woman may, uh, be, be exerted upon uh, a mother to abort. Um, and you, you know, we talked about the responsibility of the father being one that, uh, that really is, um, critical because so often abortion is seen as an out for the man. Uh, we can have a one night stand because it's consequence free thanks to the gift, as he would say of abortion. But, uh, after we finished recording last week, Deacon, you mentioned something about motherhood and fatherhood and how uh, kind of the important relationship uh, that takes place there that John Paul talks about, not explicitly here in Evangelium Vitae, more in Mulieris Dignitatem, his encyclical on the dignity of women. Can you revisit that? Yeah, it, it, what struck me in, in reading this paragraph 59 from Evangelium Vitae was reminding me very much of paragraph um, 18 from Mulieris Dignitatem, where the Holy Father says that, uh, a man, I'm paraphrasing of course, but a man, although he shares in the parenting relationship, often remains outside the process of the pregnancy and the baby's birth. And in many ways, he has to learn his own fatherhood from the mother. You know, and I remember when we, were, we went, because I had read that before, obviously, but but when we went through it again, it just struck me, you know, how profound that is. Because what, what the Holy Father is saying is that when a woman says yes to the gift of life in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life, that gift of motherhood makes possible the gift of fatherhood. So when a man rejects motherhood through, through abortion, what the Holy Father is talking about here in a sense, he's rejecting his own fatherhood, and therefore, he's rejecting his own authentic masculinity, because his job is to serve, protect, and defend. I say Joseph did so beautifully. Uh, illustrates for us in the in the Gospels, even though he never says a word, 
his actions spoke louder than his words. Yeah. You know, and so um, I think that's something that, again, not explicitly taught here, but I think that's something that is probably on the Holy Father's mind as he's writing this. Yeah. It's funny. You you say, you know, the role of masculine fatherhood is to serve, protect and defend life. And isn't that the same three words that they use uh, as a motto for the Knights of Columbus? Um I'm certain that that I've seen it on Knights of Columbus work, you know, and this idea that that you know what are the knights, of course, but a a um, a family oriented organization, right? That helps men discover their role in the family and helps helps strengthen society. Last week, you also mentioned explicitly explicitly, you know, strengthen masculinity, you're gonna strengthen the family, strengthen the family, you strengthen the church, strengthen the church, you strengthen society. You know, this is what. This is what John Paul is getting at and why this document on life has ramifications for every aspect of life. It's not just abortion. It's not just, you know, last week you also mentioned this, the pure equality that we face in morals uh, uh, before the moral law is also the basis of of being uh, one across the races, across the nations, all of these, we all stand equally before God as created in his image and likeness. Yeah, absolutely. And he, we also talked about the the how language is important, right? And and so and so is steeping ourselves in reality. And he says in paragraph 60, some people try to justify abortion by claiming that the result of conception cannot yet be considered a personal human life. So but then he says it would never be made human if it were not human already. Yeah. This has always been clear, and modern genetic science offers clear confirmation. So let's steep ourselves in reality. So what do you think happens? You say, oh, honey, I'm pregnant. Do you, I mean, do you get happy? Do you get excited? Do you get angry? Because you know, there's an emotion there. You don't say, oh, well, it's just a pizza or a brick. I, I'll get excited when it eventually becomes a person. Then I'll get excited. What, right. what is that? No, that never happens. You, you have an emotional reaction when you hear about pregnancy. Either you're excited, like, yes, thank you. Or like, oh, no, you know, there's no like in between when it comes to that. This is the phrase. This is where that phrase, trust the science, should actually apply. Geneticists will tell you it's already a human organism from the moment of conception because it's unique, it's unrepeatable. This is a unique human being that is on a continuum from this very moment until it is dissolved when the soul is no longer united to the body. That is a unique human person. Um, trust the science, my friends. Science will tell you that that's what's going on here. We've had the phrase trust the science screamed at us for the last year and a half. You think we could apply it across the board, right? But this paragraph also goes on to um, talk about, okay, so let's let's say that you aren't ready to trust the science. Well, then in that case, let's talk about prudence and the prudential judgment that what is in the womb is prudentially a human life, is, you know, now we agree and science tells us that it is, but if you're not ready to make that leap yet, um, it is a unique person and you should at least make that prudent step to protect the life in the womb. Yeah, you ha you have to say it's not a person. You have to. 
Right. Because I mean, because that way, if, if the person's not human in your mind, then you can impose your will on that on that non-person. Right. You know, and that's what did for slavery. Same thing. Dehumanization. You know, it de- it's dehumanization. That's exactly. And that's where we are today. You know, and the Holy Father talks about the language that we use, uh, the mentality. We're denying the natural moral law. You know, uh, people are aborting children because uh, uh, they're the wrong sex. Yeah. But but then they try to say there's like all 90 genders or whatever. But yet they'll say, because it was a boy, we wanted a girl. Well, wait a minute. If you're going to use that as a standard, you believe in this transgenderism stuff, then, then why don't you wait till the baby's born and see if they actually want to stay a boy or a girl? Right. I mean, right. That, that's their that's their right. thinking. But yet they but when they want to abort the child, they say, well, we want a girl with sex. Well, how, well, how do you know? You see, what I'm saying? So you, their logic even fails when you try to apply it in, in the everyday lived experience. You can't expect consistency when it's merely a question of will. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Um, paragraph 61 basically says, you know, that sacred scripture doesn't condemn abortion by name, but by implication. Um, but that it is through sacred tradition that we we have this continuous witness that abortion is wrong. We've talked about it before from the Didache in the first century all the way to, you know, to today, the church is constantly taught that abortion, direct procured abortion is wrong. Um, paragraph 62 goes on to say that, you know, that recent popes have reaffirmed this. So popes certainly in the 20th century and, and now into the 21st century uh, and even the law of the church. So the code of canon law, the first uh, code of canon law of 1917 specifically directly condemned abortion uh, in the code. And it said that if you procure an abortion, you are automatically excommunicated um, that Prohibition uh, was repeated in the 1983, the the current code of canon law. And then in the end of paragraph 62, he again evokes this idea of infallibility. He says, given such unanimity in the doctrinal and disciplinary tradition of the church, Paul VI was able to declare that this tradition is unchanged and unchangeable. Therefore, by the authority which Christ conferred upon Peter and his successors, so again, speaking as the Pope, in communion with the bishops, again, universal, who have shown unanimous agreement concerning this doctrine, I declare that direct abortion, that is abortion willed as an end or as a means, always constitutes a grave moral disorder, since it is the deliberate killing of an innocent human being. This doctrine is based upon the natural law and upon the written word of God, is transmitted by the church's tradition and taught by the ordinary and universal magisterium. So this is twice now, twice in three, four paragraphs that we've seen the Holy Father invoking the universal and ordinary magisterium to say that abortion, direct abortion, is always grave matter. And not and not only that, he goes on to add, no circumstance, no purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make licit an act which is intrinsically illicit, since it is contrary to the law of God, which is written on every human heart. Again, that natural moral law, we come to know the truth of who God is by reason alone. There it is. This is an important thing for civil legislators to read, reflect yes. upon, and to take into their hearts. And that 
applies doubly to Catholic legislators who try to cleave their day job from their faith. You cannot do so. No circumstance, no purpose, no law whatsoever can ever make licit an act which is intrinsically illicit, as John Paul says. This is a basic principle of law-giving and law-making. Yeah, because that's, that's called positive or human law. That's part of the, 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 the natural moral law that's applied in the, in, the, in the lived experience, right? So, for example, right, seatbelts, right? right? Yeah. Back when we were kids, you know, the, we all were in the back. My brother and I were wrestling in the back of the station wagon. Nobody was wearing seatbelts, right? Well, but the now— the, Sliding back and forth as mom went around the corners. Right, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But now it's mandatory that everybody wear seatbelts because they, they saw that if, you know, people survive accidents have a greater— uh, chance and probability of surviving accident if they're wearing their seatbelt. Therefore, for the common good, because it is good, a, a good for everyone, every, every state is an act of law we have to wear a seatbelt. Now, what you said, well, they're taking away my freedom. They're taking away my ability to, you know? Well, hold on. You know, this is one of the things that's, again, for the for the common good. That's because it's good for, and that's what law should be focused on. Not right. what's good for a specific group of individuals, not for a constituency, not for a political party, but because it's good for, for every single human being. Amen. The idea of the common good, of course, is the great debated issue right now, because some will, some legislators say, well, it's all about happiness. It's all about, you know, maximum freedom, but most happiness. And the church actually proposes, no, that we do actually legislate morality. We do it all the time. We do it, as you say, seatbelts. We do it speed limits. We do it uh, when we say that your kids have to be vaccinated before they go to school. You know, all of these sorts of things that that will that affect the common good, not just individuals. Not and and I'll tell you what, as Americans, this is the toughest part for us to understand that the church actually does have a vision for the common good that that is in many ways different than the American project, the politically liberal project. And I'm talking about liberality in a much broader sense than liberal versus conservative, but the idea of that, like Professor Patrick Deneen writes about and why liberalism failed. He's talking about liberalism as as that which gave rise to the American uh, kind of constitution and things like that. He said, at its core, there's liberty. And that liberty is in opposition to God. It's actually a living out of what Satan told Adam and Eve. You shall be like gods in placing our own desires over those of the divine law, which is written in our hearts. That's a much broader question, of course, but it is it is part of what John Paul is talking about here. And that's why he says positive law cannot in any way contradict the divine law. So, yeah, and, th and this is part of it, too, is that, you know, wh why the church, um, you know, what one of the things it teaches against, you know, uh, this so-called redefinition of marriage. The reason why marriage was pr protected since the beginning of recorded history, 6,000 years, is because of what that union, man, woman, and children, does for all of society and culture, not just for individuals. 
Right. Whereas people of the of the of the same sex, you know, the the only thing that 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 benefits is them. You know, right. There's no benefit for anyone else. So so therefore, legislators should not be involved in people's personal lifestyle choice decisions, especially if those decisions have no import on the moral on the on the common good. Just if people want to do, do people do whatever they want, but don't legalize it. Don't don't make it so now you know uh, you're creating something. So well, we, everybody has to be equal. No. It, it's not equal. Yet you treat you treat things that are equal equally. You treat things things that are different differently, and that's not prejudice. That's not discrimination, um, at all. We're gonna you're gonna get the show canceled, not <laughs> not by the not by the church, obviously. But culture is gonna cancel us, Deacon. Well, we had a uh, good yes. Well, so what? Won't be the first time they tried <laughs> to cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but I keep preaching the truth and love. In fact, John, right. later on in this document, John Paul II makes a, makes a very strong statement about that, how we are supposed to speak out boldly right. when it comes to issues like this and not and not hold back. And the reason is this, look, Ken, at the end of our lives, Christ, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to say, where are my talents back? Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. I don't want to be the dude that's going to just... Well, uh, I was afraid to talk about tough issues because my I wasn't going to be popular. People weren't going to like me. You know, I was going to get all these people drop me off of Facebook and Twitter and all my social media. And, you know, I was going to lose YouTube followers. And and so I just kind of buried what you gave me. Well, here it is back. Not good enough. It's going to be taken from you and given to the guy who already has 10. There you go. There you go. And where are you going to go? You're going to get kicked out of the party and go. And what? Well, you only got one choice. If you ain't going to heaven, you know, I, ho- I hope you like you was about barbecue. You got yeah. you will be barbecuing for a long time, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so. Worse than shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> yeah. You on the oh. Barbie. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, kind of wrapping up this little section, paragraph 63 talks about the um, about in vitro fertilization and experimentation on human embryos. And it continues the the prohibition that is extended against abortion because so often even these technologies and these um, efforts involve direct killing of human embryos. So like in IVF, they will extract, you know, um, eggs from the mother and take, uh, you know, sperm from the father and and create a whole bunch of of embryos and then implant a few and then selectively abort them when they after you know a certain number take in the in the womb and then of course we end up with freezers full of fertile uh, of children of embryos fertilized embryos that are created in excess what happens to those and these are grand questions that again we started doing something because we could without thinking about whether we should. And this is, of course, even setting aside the question of artificial reproductive technologies and the methods, which are not unitive and procreative, which is how children are to be, are are created, right? It's not uh, the conjugal act. It's literally surgery for the mother or, and and it often involves self-abuse on the part of the father. And so there's a lot going on here that the church says there's more than just direct killing. There are a lot of issues involved. Yeah. And this is something that we're dealing with um, 
Uh, in fact, this particular section is particularly poignant now because of the advancement in the technology since 1995. This is something that's almost becoming ubiquitous in the, in the medical field right now. Right. Uh, especially when you look at well, here's the, the interesting. You look at the facts again. Uh, uh, again, the science is proving that the church is correct. When you look at there's 73 cures right now or, or 73 ways that human adult stem cells are being used to, to, to treat actual diseases right now. 73 are being are being treated with adult stem cells. None are being treated from from human embryos. Not one. In the next 10 years, they don't expect any any of these diseases to be treated by human embryos. Why are we still messing with human embryos then? When it's the score is 73 to nothing, Ken, 73 to zero. Why are we still trying to fight back? You lost. Just get, you follow the trust the I science. Mean, trust again. There you go. Trust the science. Trust yeah. the science. Well, you know, um, we we can trust the science all we want, but science is not going to turn back the hands of time. <laughs> <laughs> you you certainly can't mean that we're running towards the end of our time together again tonight, DK. Yeah, I know. It just keeps happening. It, week <laughs> after week, we get to a point and we have to stop and continue the next week. But until then, Ken, how can people stay in touch with us, stay connected find to us, us? Yeah, you'll find us on Facebook under the group Living Stones Media. You can also download all the previous episodes of the show at moderndayradio.com. But Deacon... You know, we gather every week and we will again next week. But the thing that gets me through each time is the fact that you're able to offer us the blessing of the church. Would you be willing to do so even now? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. One of my, my close and dear friends and a man who's still trying to get over his fear of roller coasters. Uh, the one and only Ken Hellenius. Ken, how you doing? I am well, thank you. I was trying to find the name for fear of roller coasters, but there isn't one. You just call it roller coaster phobia. Wow. <laughs> um, I would most decidedly have it. Any of those ones where you have to hang, forget that noise. No way. Uh-uh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm your co-host Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and joining me from the studios in South Bend, Indiana, is the man whose childhood dream was the inspiration for Barry Manilow's Weekend in New England. <laughs> the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken. <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, I got nothing. Oh my gosh. I got you, man. You got me. You literally got me. I know very little about Barry Manilow. Would you believe that? I wouldn't say it's actually a lacuna in my knowledge. I'm not sad that I don't know a lot about him. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.